0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast, where we're going to answer a lot of questions. Hey, hey, Andy.
1: Aye. Uh, We'll try try to. Aye.
0: Okay, right, you ready? Let's do it. Also, welcome to the new intake of Commit to Six, Andy.
1: Yeah, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
0: It's very exciting. I do feel buzzed for this one. I spent a lot of time last week redoing parts of the program and actually realigning like I did a lot of writing on like why I created commit six what I want people to get from it and it's totally like re-engaged my buzz for it as well so I'm buzzing on this intake um and signups have been mad which is incredible and I'm always like it's never lost on me that what a privilege it is to be like yeah I want you to help me like, of all the people you could choose. And I'm going to make sure that that was a freaking good decision that you made. So, welcome. We're going to get through as many of these as possible. And then any that we don't get through, we'll come back and get through later on. Okay, Heather, not really a question, but would love to hear more about overtraining and the importance of rest and recovery, please. Um,
1: Overtraining... Not many folk will overtrain unless you're a professional athlete. However, you will get better results if you allow your body to rest and recover. Um, that is probably the most underutilized factor that we have in our, our arsenal. And we all think that more is better. So we have this thing where everybody thinks that we can chuck every single tool in the toolbox and everyone's going to be great. Well, that's fine. It might work for a little bit, but by that point, you're going to be tired. You're going to, your appetite's going to be through the roof. Your um, recovery levels are going to be low. Your energy is going to be low. So, Allowing yourself recovery time is massively important for basically all goals. Whether it's muscle building, whether it's fat loss, whether it's maintenance, you still need to have that time just to allow your body to rest and recover. It's so you try to run a car on on fumes. Like you're not going to get anywhere fast. And in actual fact, all that's going to happen is you're going to end up with niggles, or in a car's case, breakdown and. That'll be it. So yeah, you need to be you need to be very, very wary. You know, this thing about folk are like, oh, I'm gonna train seven days a week. No, 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 no. We don't want you to train seven days a week. Like, that's not what this is about. If we want this to be a long-term process, we need to make things play smart. We need to play the long game. So allowing yourself the rest and recovery um is massively important.
0: Yeah, definitely quality over quantity and this is something we see a lot is like people being like oh well I do two classes a day and it's like they're not quality no matter what like they're not quality what would be way better is to do one good workout maybe four or five times a week it's probably going to get you far better results and Andy is right like not many people will actually reach the point of over training but what I think is really common is under recovery and they're yeah. kind of two sides to the same coin, right? Like you're probably not going to have the definition of over syndrome, which we we'd normally only see in like kind of elite level endurance athletes. Yep. But given that your recovery is likely far worse than an elite level athlete who probably tries to go to bed at like 9 p.m. every night and has a massage and, you know, like takes their recovery really, really seriously – You actually probably have a full time job, two kids, like running around after people. Like, you you probably don't have time to recover in the same way. And you probably have loads of other life stresses that often athletes, I mean, some athletes do have other life stresses, but the point is like performance is probably not your key outcome. So you don't have as much time, energy, focus to put into everything that comes into that, including recovery. So you do get a lot of people that are kind of under recovered because they're trying to run on everything right and then add exercise on top of things so finding that kind of sweet spot for you in terms of like how much exercise you want to do to get the result that you want I mean there's, there's kind of two sides this you certainly can undertrain as well and I mean that in terms of your expectation of the outcome so what I want to be really clear about here and I was thinking about this today because I work with a lot of people who come to me very overweight and very inactive. Right. And having been through everyone on commit to six, I mean, we've got various people here, but some people are, you know, doing about 2000 steps a day and have a good like 30, 40 kilograms of fat to lose. Now, if all you did over the next six weeks was smarten up your diet a little bit and started doing 7000 steps a day, I cannot emphasize how much good you'll be doing for your health. Like, an insane amount, right? But, and the point I always want to make is you get this law of diminishing returns. So like that first workout you do per week has such a huge impact on your health. The fourth workout you do per week is technically the same like unit of expenditure, but it has like nowhere near the same impact, right? Same with your steps that those first, like 7,000 steps you do per day. When you look at the graph of Step count compared to like mortality rate, it's so steep. Like the benefit you're getting from those first seven thousand steps is mad, and then it kind of plateaus out. Like you're still getting a benefit, but it's nowhere near as much. And I think the reason I like to hammer that home so much is if you're like, oh, there's no point doing my steps or there's no point getting my workout in, I won't hit three workouts a week, so I'm gonna do none. That first workout is the most important. Then the second one. Then the third one. Then honestly, after that, it's like yeah you i'm not saying you won't get results you will you'll get better results doing four workouts than three if you can recover from it but there's no way like the benefit you're getting is diminished in comparison to those first couple so really this is why we focus so much on imperfect action because that's the most impactful part okay next question pamela tips on getting more veg in particularly for quick lunches thanks
1: bags of pre pre-cut veg is always a handy one I know it's obviously slightly more expensive but it takes the hassle out of having to prep vegetables um you know it's it's something that is quite nice and simple um and you can chuck whatever you fancy into whatever you want like there's no there's no yet right or wrong to putting stuff into your your meal so you can put whatever you want
0: what <laughs> all right then
1: was well, that you can hear in the background can you
0: no What's no, the back-
1: that, I mean sorry I'd say there's folks um, Laura's Laura's hairdressers here so
0: oh lovely nice no. um yeah I mean or you could do the thing you know a lot of excellent mums um cut up like carrots and cucumber and like cherry tomatoes like do shit like that for yourself like make yourself that so you've got that to snack up on at work like you could go and buy it it cost you five times as much and literally would take you i don't know 30 seconds to cut that kind of stuff up in the morning like yeah. do that and bring it with you eat like so easy there done okay caroline <laughs> menopause related question if you cannot or do not want to use hrt through menopause Are there any additional supplements that would combat brain fog, hot flushes, murderous mood swings, aching joints, itchiness? Have been recommended to try creatine. Any advice would be great. Thank you in advance. Definitely creatine. Um, I would question just why you don't want to take HRT. And again, this isn't me trying to push anything on you. I just want to make sure you're making an informed decision based on actual research and what's best for you. Obviously, that's a discussion with your doctor. Um, because that partly depends on the recommendations that I'll make. So if, for example, you just decided you didn't want to take HRT, again, like would really like to know why, but then you could do things like increase the amount of phytoestrogens that you're having in your diet because they mimic the effects of estrogen in the body and that might have some small benefit. Again, it's a drop in the ocean in comparison to actually taking HRT. However, if you're like, I'm not taking HRT because of, I don't know, breast cancer risk, then actually you still might want to not have a huge amount of phytoestrogens in your diet and not massively increase that. Um, So it depends on that. Um, There aren't a lot of other well uh, evidence-based supplements. There are a couple of things. I mean, I definitely try for everyone, but specifically for menopause to reduce um, ultra processed food intake that's been linked to worsened symptoms again this is correlational data so we don't know if people are eating more ultra processed foods because their symptoms are worse and it means they're craving more or because the ultra processed foods are making their symptoms worse because maybe they're storing more body fat or they have generally a less healthy lifestyle Um, but what I can say is you being here and you implementing what we're going to support you to implement on Commit to Six is the best thing that you can be doing for your menopausal symptoms. Um, I wouldn't rely too much on supplements. I wouldn't expect anything particularly incredible from any supplement. Um, Yeah, it's mostly going to be broader trends in your diet and exercise. So things like trying to stick to like a Mediterranean-based diet, making sure you exercise, making sure you prioritize sleep, um, taking some creatine. Yeah. Okay, Emily, I'd like to understand how worthwhile it is to go over our minimum protein target, please. I've managed to get myself hitting 100 grams of protein almost every day through a combination of ensuring I have some with each meal, plus a daily protein shake, and then having protein bars or puddings where I need to top up. I know that 100 grams is minimum, um, but how much benefit is there to going above this target? I could definitely try and go for a higher daily target, for example, 120 grams, but it would probably mean using some of the calories that I currently keep for a bit of fun stuff. For example, chocolate, wine, ice cream with the family. Um, So it would be really useful to understand a bit better what the difference going from 100 grams to 120 grams of protein might be for my fat loss and strength goals so that I can make an informed and conscious decision. Thank you, Zedda. What, um, what a great question. Mm,
1: Very in depth, very in depth. Um, starting from the offset on having more protein is going to limit what else you have. If you're kind of limiting, if you've got a sort of calorie ceiling, shall we say? So the more protein you have, the less fats and carbs you're going to be able to sort of have to play with basically. Um, and we came of this was kinda of hundred grams is where is kind of a minimum minimum for the majority of people to be fair. It'll obviously increase the bigger the person. So for a male, but again, we, we also, you know, hundred grams we work as, as a minimum. A lot of over over um or intake too much. So, you know, somebody who could probably get away with 100 grams is probably, some some folk are taking like 200 grams a day. All it does is it limits your choices of food for the day. So you can't have that. And it's not not called a treat. It's just something within your calories. Like, we don't call it a treat. It's just you put your budget in. It's like your weekly budget for food. You have that with your calories. You've got your weekly budget for a food that's classed as something that's a bit of a, it's something that you enjoy. Taken or in sort of so, something you enjoy intaking um and 20 grams in terms of protein if you're hitting the 100 grams as a minimum it's not going to make that much difference so it's probably you know if you were getting in 60 grams i would say the 20 grams is going to make a massive difference to get you to 80 but at 100 grams you're probably that 20 grams you could use and as long as you're splitting that hundred grams that you're taking in across the day over four or five meals, happy days. You're, you're laughing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly the same as what I was just talking about. Re-steps. Mm. Like as Andy's saying, if you were getting 60 grams of protein in and you were like, oh, how important is an extra 20 grams? I'd be like, yeah, pretty freaking important. Yep. It's like, I'm already hitting hundred grams. What's the difference between having a hundred and 120 probably not that much. If you were like, I'm really struggling with satiety, I'd be like, "Hmm, okay, maybe you're going to benefit from a little bit more. We also know that as you age and you become a little bit anabolically resistant, having a bit more protein might be beneficial too. It's not like, like, this is why we hit like sort of 100 grams as a minimum. It's quite similar to why not many people, a few people do just to sort of meet them where they are and push them a little bit, but not many people have Step target that's under 8,000 steps. And if you do, I'm still going to try and push you up to that at some point because that's where you're getting the biggest bang for your buck in terms of health, right? So I want, no matter if you've got a fat loss goal or not, like that's how much we should all be moving per day to get the health benefits of it. Kind of similar with protein, like you're going to get the vast majority of the benefit from 100 grams. Then it's a bit of a cost benefit of like, okay, if you were like, Emma, I want to compete in a bodybuilding show, I'd be like, cool. May need to increase your protein intake and but that is going to come at the cost of I have less flexibility in my diet but you're a bodybuilder so you're not meant to have flexibility in your diet like that's literally part of the sport right whereas if you're like I just want to feel really good live my life and be in pretty great shape cool 100 grams is absolutely fine Um, and then some of it's to do with preference if you're like I just like eating more protein great there's no real negative to it apart from the cost of it potentially um but yeah i think that kind of covers it um lily's commented below saying i was wondering the same thing previously i've been aiming for 150 grams but it's quite boring and not achievable every day i'd love if 100 grams was enough but can't help to be scared of losing muscle i've already built you were actually muscle is relatively hard to lose once you've built it especially if you're resistance training and you're eating enough protein and that is enough yeah Um, yeah okay can i do my own workout as opposed to the commit to six workouts i have an app that i've used in the past and i enjoy it and if so should i focus on strength training rather than hit style workouts oh you've already answered andy
1: yeah i answered that just as a just to just Uh to let get started straight away Uh but the answer is yeah if you you're training training wise we have a lot of people that come to us that have already do training modalities like crossfit or they already have pt there's no reason why that they they can't continue on with that and the this the, the focus needs to be sort of strength based um, is what we're looking at. We want you to be working with resistance. So if you're doing three hit sessions a week, that's probably not optimal to what we're looking for. So you may need to change if that's the case. Um, but there's no reason why you need to take anything out. So if you're doing three resistance training sessions a week plus a hit session because you enjoy it, we don't need to change that. Um, but a lot of it's about finding the routine that works for you and how it fits into your your life and your schedule.
0: Okay, Georgina. Hi team, newbie here, and so excited to make this the last time I ever diet. You are in the right place. Just a quick question around workouts. I train three to five times a week, depending on workload and other commitments. I was surprised when there were no squats on push day and no deadlifts on pull day. By only training three times, would doing leg day would doing leg day only be sufficient for mu- muscle building? If I only train three times with doing leg day only, no.
1: Maybe doing leg day only once, maybe?
0: It just says only, be sufficient. And trust me, you'll build muscle on these programs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do not worry, you are in good hands. Um. A question around sleep. I am one of the lucky few who get seven to nine hours a night consistently but I was wondering why sometimes the longer I sleep the more difficult it is to wake up. Is this a real thing and is there a scientific reason for it? Thank you. What a great question. Um, I find that too. If I like lie in I find yeah. it much harder to get up. I don't yeah. actually really know. I don't know if you're just kind of falling like you you're normally when you have a lion you normally still kind of wake up at the time that you normally wake up which is like a little treat because you look at your phone and you're like oh my god it's whatever 6 a.m and actually I don't have to get up until eight today and then you roll over and go back to sleep but that's probably when your body wants to get up right and you get into this circadian rhythm of like sleep and wake cycles yeah Um, so then if you go back to sleep I think your body's like what the fuck's going on this isn't a scientific like this is just my theory behind it. I don't know if that holds any truth, but you definitely get into your body knows when it should be awake or asleep.
1: Yeah, I also think as well it's a psychological thing as well, isn't it? If you if you decide to snooze your alarm, you're already you're already going. Oh, it's cool. I don't need to do too much. It's like it's basically procrastination while we sleep rather than just getting up and getting shit done. Like that's, that's one thing I will always say to people is like, oh, how how do you get like a morning routine? Get up, get up at your first alarm. Don't, done of this 17 snoozes or even a second snooze, just get up at your alarm, go and get your, your day started. And um, you, yeah, it's a bit of a shock to the system initially. And you'll know that coming back from like holidays when you've had lions, that first day back, it's horrible. You're like, Oh Jesus man, it's this time really? But after day one, you're fine. Let's get up, get stuff done. There's no point in hanging around and just and and worrying about it.
0: And also, I think it's like after the first genuinely two minutes, you're fine. It's those first two minutes of actually getting out of bed. You're like, oh my god, and then you're absolutely fine. So I just like trick yourself into that. I'm just like right, all I need to do is get up and brush my teeth. Okay, cool. By that point, you're you're kind of awake a bit. Um. Yeah. And I try and set yourself like quite regimented um, sleep and wake times. And if you're serious about this and you won't like this, but I probably wouldn't have lions on the weekend because even a couple of days out of routine can make it way, way harder to then get back in that routine. And your body really does like that rhythm and it's quite sensitive to it. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm the I'm the same. I'm I'm up at the same time basically every morning. I'm five a.m. Sometimes on a Saturday, Sunday, I'll maybe try and stay myself in bed till like six, but I'm up and about and doing stuff. And it does it's just just one of these things.
0: I also think, honestly, <laughs> not to be dramatic here, and I feel like I say this a lot, but
1: getting
0: <laughs> up at like even fifteen minutes earlier will change your life I mean like your whole mood changes when you're not running late for things yeah. I realized this quite recently because I'd gotten really busy with work and I was still trying to like get up at the same time and just cram everything like, in and I started getting up 30 minutes earlier right like it's not that big a deal quite hard initially but then you get used to it and then everything like I wasn't late for anything you know like I was like Oh, instead of being like, I'm literally walking in the door, sweating from the gym. And my first call is in two minutes. I need to open my laptop. It was like, huh, I've got time to come back, get a shower, sit down, make a cup of tea and then get on this call. And how much better do I show up when I do that in comparison to like literally still being out of breath when I start the call? Like it's not professional. It's not fair on whoever's on the other side of the call. And it's not how I want to show up. And just that small little tweak and then on the flip side of that waking up five minutes late can kind of ruin your whole day because you're always chasing your tail like you're a little bit late for this and you're a little bit late for that and then like everything just snowballs and you feel in this like kind of constant state of stress instead of quite relaxed I think that was the main thing for me I was like I noticed how much more relaxed I am when I wake up 30 minutes earlier And to the extent that I think some people, not in my situation, but some people kind of that spirals to the extent that they're like, wow, I'm so stressed all the time. I'm stress eating. I'm snapping at people. My relationships are suffering. And actually, and, you know, you might end up, I don't know, going to the doctors about it or something or like, God forbid, like falling out with people or getting in trouble at work or ruining your relationship when actually all you needed to do was get up 30 minutes earlier. Like sometimes it's the really simple things of, I just need to make sure that I've had even 20 minutes to myself in the morning just to like sort myself out so that I approach the day that I want to approach the day, approach the day in the way that I want to approach today.
1: Absolutely. I think I, can, I am the worst person in the world for being incessantly early for everything because I hate being at the tail end of things. It's one of the few things that stresses me out. If I'm if I'm ten minutes early for a client, I'm already twenty minutes late. Like um, because I need to just get in, relax, chill out. It's the same as doing kind of the stand up comedy side of stuff as well. Like I'm there forty minutes before I'm supposed to be on stage. Like settle down, sit in, relax, take a breath, grab a drink of water, take your time, and it, it's it allows you just to sort of clarify your thoughts as well. Whereas if you're rushing and you're like two minutes to go and you're like oh your your head's all over the place you can't sort of you can't put your thoughts in into into line where you need them to be so yeah for me like being being early is that's basically
0: I, I live my life by that one mm. okay Carly too much information question, sorry in order to hit my protein goal I'm a vegetarian I usually eat both both pulses and eggs most days this has the side effect of making me have a huge amount of awful smelly wind will my body adjust to get less farty do i need to find other protein sources any vegetarian recommendations i smell like a bad drain well we don't want that Fortunately, it's one of the things i think that your body will adjust probably not no, to that. no, I think honestly pulses are quite a a gassy thing, and different people respond differently to different foods. So I'd start trying to try different things. I think, but yeah, pulses are especially bad, and they're actually not that good a source of protein for the calories. Like you have to eat quite a lot of like chickpeas and lentils to get anywhere near a decent protein intake.
1: And the amount of carbohydrates that are added on top to cover that number is quite a lot. This is where the kind of, unfortunately, the sort of fallacy of you can get the same amount of meat, a same amount of protein from a steak, uh, from a steak that you do from broccoli. Yes, but you're going to have to eat a fucking field and a half of broccoli, which is just a bit of a, a nightmare. And that's going to make you windy as well. Um, but yeah, it could be, it might be the pulses. It could be the eggs. Uh, Shona, who I work with, she, you know, when she's had eggs, it's not a pretty, it's not pretty, it's not pretty. Um, you don't need the fan at the front door to, to get the air running around the place. Well, you do actually, so yeah, <laughs> so you just need to work at what it is. But there's put this, put this is actually a really good one to a post to pop up on like the actual group ask for some other recommendations about what other people have because me and Emma will give you the same stuff because it's basically what we use like I'm rubbish with vegetarian stuff because I'm not vegetarian and you'll have sort of similar choices and routines that you use so chuck that up in the group and you'll get a lot of different answers from different people so it means you can you have basically you get yourself a portfolio of things that you can try
0: a portfolio a portfolio of pulses um what i would say is greek yogurt is good yep. um, why does my camera always do that? Um. Oh, i'm back um yeah. tofu is a good one corn substitutes are also good yeah but but definitely post it in the group because people will have really good ideas okay hannah probably a daft one fruit and veg portion sizes This morning, I have eaten strawberries, blueberries, raspberries and red and green grapes and blackberries. NutriCheck says this amounts to 1.8 portion. Seems harsh. For the purpose of the six a day, is there a specific weight or amount of each fruit and veg I need to consume before I can count it as a portion? Yeah, so someone said I think a portion is around 80 grams. Like, honestly... I just prefer, like, I don't want you to weigh out your fucking strawberries. Like, you don't need to be doing that long, like, maybe once to see what a portion size is, but certainly don't, like, be doing that every day and, and don't overthink this stuff. Like, if you've, if you've had like a spoonful of peas and a spoonful of sweet corn, like, no, that doesn't count as two portions. Like, come on, like, you need to have a decent amount. But, I wouldn't really really wouldn't overthink this I'd rather people overshot it so if you're like huh I've had I don't know six blueberries I'd be like "Mm, it's probably not going to count as a portion but if you had six blueberries six raspberries and like three strawberries okay that's one portion great now what else can you get in but I'd rather you got more fruit and veg in than less but you don't need to be weighing it out and like overly analytical about this and this is really the whole point in commit six like it's imperfect action right I don't care if you've got perfectly six fruit and veg like just be sensible with it like the idea is you mostly want to eat whole food you want to get as much variety in as possible and yeah just just don't be like silly with it if you're having a stir fry and you're like oh there's like half a mushroom in here and like some green beans and like probably one third of a pepper. Like, no, that doesn't count. That counts as like one portion of of veg, right? F F that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, One strawberry, one portion.
0: Yeah. Big ass (laughs) strawberry. Okay. Following on from Hannah's questions, do things like bean and lentils count towards your fruit and veg? No, because they're not fruit or veg. Um, I know they count towards a five a day target. No, they don't. Yeah. um but what they do count is like if you're thinking about you want to get plant-based foods in they are plant-based but they're not fruit or veg and five decent sources of fiber as well they're like great things to have in your diet as long as they don't make you extremely uncomfortable and gassy apart from that like they're great have them in your diet but they're not they're not actually technically a fruit or a vegetable so no no I'm joking sorry i hate okay. that am like you know now and again you do something that you think's funny and then someone's like i was really upset when you <laughs> took the piss out of me on the live. i'm like I'm so sorry
1: <laughs> we don't honestly we do we do this with everybody so don't 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 don't, um, feel, don't feel victimized
0: yeah victoria i know it's good to practice to drink two liters a day does this have to be pure water where I live, the tap water tastes awful, and I also add a drop of cordial. Cordial, Andy. Cordial. cordial. And because I do this, I manage to drink my two liters daily. I've had a few comments off people recently that cordial doesn't count as your body is having to process the fluids. Where do people come <laughs> up with this utter good, like, yeah. Oh, sorry, all of that water you've consumed. No, nope. there was a tiny splash of cordial in it. No, nope. no, nope. your body doesn't understand it is it, irrelevant. <laughs> do I need to force myself to drink just water, or is the two liters with cordial? Okay, um, yes. it's fine,
1: yeah. Also, find whoever told you that and slap them. Slap them very. Okay.
0: Hard. I, I always drink MacB. Yeah, so I don't.
1: I really. I very very. I don't drink water without cordial or a flavor
0: because I. I just. I just find it boring. Me too, but I do think that that's a not a good trait like it's not something i mean there are a lot of sweeteners in it and you probably don't want to overdo that but it's certainly not the end of the world and also remember that this notion of we should have eight glasses of water a day actually came from research on the amount of fluid that you intake per day that includes not only things like tea and coffee and blah 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 but also things like fruit Yep. you know and like cucumber is crunchy water like it's 90% water if not more right so you actually get a lot of water from the food that you're eating it's yeah. not that you need to consume two liters of actual plain water I love when people say that and it's just not questioned it's like oh no if there's cordial in the water like actually your body repels it and somehow that water doesn't count. Like it's so fun. Like it's so <laughs> weird thing. That is so imagine
1: that's imagine that's what your body did though. Your body just started, you just water just started going <clears throat> coming back out because of that. I can't take it, it's got cordial in it. Uh-huh. You'd be like, <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, that could okay. be interesting.
0: Okay, hey, I supper with post. Uh, eh, mm, ex. Uh, oh God, I can't read that word. Ex. Oh wait, okay, I've got it. Sorry, everyone. I am very dyslexic. I suffer with post. Ex- <laughs> uh, I'm pretty right. I'm pretty sure I know what the word is meant to say, but now I can't think how to say it. Exertional. That's
1: what. <laughs> so let's do charades.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Post-exertional malaise due to rheumatoid arthritis and now I'm in menopause. I really struggle to find a level where I can be consistent. I'm okay on very short sessions of around 20 minutes, twice a week, which doesn't um, feel like much of a workout. But if I increase this, I struggle with fatigue, increasing flare-up symptoms. I guess I just wondered if you had any words of wisdom slash good news stories to share. I understand about progressive overload, et cetera, due to my job. Um, didn't say what her job is. I feel like she might be a PT actually. <clears throat> um, but haven't ever met anyone like me who has found a way to continue to be active with fatigue. Oh, there are many people like you. Many of them in the group. Maybe not so much the Malays, but definitely around fatigue. Um, I I love lifting, but it's really no fun when you either don't feel like it. It Uh, don't feel like you've worked out or you are in bed for three weeks after and fear of avoidance is deadly creeping in now i'm okay with steps but i used to run and lift pre-menopause and feel like i've never i'll never get back to anything uh like enjoying being that active okay so this is really hard Mm -hmm. but i don't think it will last forever especially if you're perimenopausal which is Oh, wait, I'm now in the menopause. Mm, I don't know if you're peri or like post-menopausal where things might settle down a bit because your hormones will settle down a bit as well. Uh, definitely, I mean, I'm sure you've done this already, but speak to your doctor and see if there's anything else that they can do. Even in terms of like keeping your hormones a little bit more stable, if that's something that's contributing to this. And then like, you, you're you just going to have to take it slower. So do you know what? A 20-minute workout isn't particularly short. And mm. and we've spoken a lot about the law of diminishing returns on this episode. But again, like if you're used to doing a 60-minute workout, you're still going to get the biggest bang from your buck for the first 20 minutes. And if we can get you up to, at some point, maybe not now, but at some point, three 20-minute workouts a week, you can get insane results off three 20-minute workouts a week.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of this is going to be about... Understanding and listening to your body, basically, you're going to have to find the level where you're going to train and find the amount of rest and recovery that you need between sessions. And remember, as well, like a, a week doesn't need to be Monday to Sunday, a week can run Wednesday to Wednesday. So you can rotate your sessions through and do it that way. So you could have two days in between each workout, so you could do a Monday a Thursday and a Sunday and then a Wednesday and do it that way you can make it run that way so don't think you get tied to 7 days within Monday to Sunday you can rotate your sessions how your body allows you to with it, it, looking at recovery and the biggest one here is like we you know we get questions a lot about things like trackers and stuff um they're basically all bullshit um but the best tracker that you have is your body especially at this point where you are obviously going through something that you are going to have to listen to your body to understand when you can push it when you have to back off when you um are going to have to take an extra day's rest because your body's not going to allow you to do that so just be really you need to become intuitive on this one and start to really listen to how your body's reacting um but also don't the, the, uh, but don't go to the the complete opposite polar uh, opposite pole of going, Oh, I don't feel good. I'm just not going to do it. Like, because I, I just, I just feel like you've got to, you've got to pull yourself out of the hole when you need to, but you've also got to give yourself a little bit of leeway when you need to as well. So it's that kind of fine line in there.
0: I try and keep a symptom and fatigue diary as well. And you'll start to notice like when you think like, I know when I'm most likely to get a migraine and I can sort of feel it for the few days before I'm like if I push it right now <clears throat> then I'm really going to start struggle or I'm I'm going to like bring on a migraine so I kind of know like what days to take it easier but that's because I start you know like listen to my body and I can tell how much I can and can't do but sometimes it's like figuring that out for yourself which yeah. is it's not always easy to do um, and I think that was a great tip as well about not having, like, if you're like, right, I'm going to train Monday and Friday, but actually you don't feel like it on Monday, then, okay, you can train on Tuesday, you know, like, don't don't make it so, like, black and white, just kind of try and be a little bit more fluid with it, and if you need an extra rest day, you need an extra rest day.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I will, that's one of the tips that I probably didn't put in, like, the video, is, is that routine is fantastic, I use routine Emma uses routine. We all use routine, but also don't freak out when routine comes apart. Something might happen. You need to change your routine. Become be understand that flexibility is needed, and just go with the flow. That's the best way to look at it. Because something's always going to crop up, whether it's a holiday, whether it's a you know potentially a bereavement in the family, anything like that, and you just need to be able to ma- navigate and manipulate everything around it. Mm.
0: Okay, Tracy, what are your thoughts on the ketogenic diet slash lifestyle and intermittent fasting? This has been a topic of discussion at work, and I've been stating that a balanced approach is better and more sustainable. And Tracy, you're right. There's absolutely, for for most people, like I would ask people why they're doing it first. If they're like, oh, for religious reasons, I'm like, fine. Or if they're like, oh, because I feel really good. I'm like okay maybe I mean I'd kind of question that but like that's you know someone's own interpretation like if you feel great doing it you keep doing it but what most people are like if they're doing it for fat loss absolutely no need to do that and for most people it's really um not I wouldn't allow them to live their life to the fullest the way that they probably want to live it right if you're keto and you're like it's gonna be really hard to eat out socially you're always going to be the one that's like oh yeah i can come for dinner but i'm just going to bring my own like chicken breast and just eat that on my own like i don't know like what it, it becomes very hard to do socially intermittent fasting i think actually can be a really useful tool to manage manage your calories for some people if it works for you again i'd i'd want people to understand why it's working it's helping you stick to a deficit it's not like if you don't eat, if you eat outside of your calorie window, the calories are completely different and your body will store them as fat, but it won't store them as fat. If you're eating in your window, like, no, no, it's just an an easier way to manage calories. Naturally having some structure to your day and having some rules really helps. Like one of the reasons that, um, intermittent fasting works so well is that most people tend to overeat in the evening. Actually, you know, the vast majority of people who are trying to lose body fat kind of nail it during the day. They're like, get up, I feel good, I plan my breakfast, I have my lunch, I've ticked all the boxes. And then after their full day of eating in the evening, they're sitting around bored, maybe a little bit hungry, and then they continue to overeat. Whereas if you've got this cutoff of I don't eat after 7pm or I don't eat after 8pm, or what I actually prefer is I don't eat after dinner... Because then if you end up having a later or an earlier dinner, it doesn't really matter. Um, then, then you're much less likely to snack in the evening. And that's when we make our poorest food choices generally. So having that rule is useful, but it's not useful because you're intermittent fasting. It's useful because it's managing your own behaviours.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. I think people need to realise that any form of diet is basically... Create If it's a fat loss diet, it's done by creating a, a calorie deficit. It's not because you're suddenly not eating um, carbohydrates. It's nothing to do with the fact that you're now not eating, you're only eating meat. And that's it. It's all to do with cal- a caloric balance. And if you create a deficit, you will do that. You'll lose body fat. It's as simple as that. And it doesn't matter. It's the, so many people have these things. Oh, this is the new diet that's going to help you lose weight. And it's it's this. And you're like that going, yes, yeah, there's nothing smart about it. It's creating a calorie deficit. Simple as that. That's, that is the aim, be all and end all of it. Yeah. And I think the, do you
0: remember the 6 p.m. rule? And people were like, oh yeah,
1: after six pm.
0: Yeah, your your body can't metabolize food after that, that late at night. And like if you eat it at night and then you just go to sleep, it's just stored as fat. Yeah. It's not that. It's that most of the time you overeat after six pm. That's yeah. Like, there's nothing special about it. your body doesn't like store fat more after six pm.
1: But as you said, exactly as you mentioned previously, is the habits that then run alongside that. If you're more likely to overeat after 6pm, would it be be a bit smarter to have a snack after 6pm or have your dinner after 6pm where you're more likely to overeat? Because that might actually alleviate the issues that you have later on Um, rather than stopping yourself from eating at all and then going and destroying the fridge at half past 10 at night, half an hour after you went to bed. So,
0: yeah. Um, Okay. Wondering your thoughts on ultra-processed foods, please. Given that they are a useful way to get protein in through powders, shakes, and bars, and desserts, it can be very easy and convenient to eat a couple of these every day. Is that too much? Thanks. Okay, I've changed my views on this recently. Ooh, Um, it's here. I just think as as an industry in general, we're a little bit too, if you're in a deficit, it doesn't really matter what you eat. Like, I actually think it does. And, and it also matters because it will make it easier for you to stick to a deficit. So there's the element of ultra processed foods are not good for your health in excess, right? Like if you have a shake every day, I don't think that's going to make a difference whatsoever. The scary part is some people have up to, I can't remember if it was 60% or 75% of their diet like if the standard western diet is ultra processed food that's terrifying right Mm. and sometimes in the industry i think we almost promote that of like oh yeah look at me eating pop tarts and then look at me just chugging this protein shake and then and it's like where's the actual whole food here like where's your big salad that actually has a variety of veg in it and you're getting in like your pulses and you're getting all the fiber in that you need and you're eating real whole food like that should be the vast majority of your diet then if you add something in that's like you know a protein shake on top of that to help you hit your protein target fine but it it like the poison's in the dose right so i'm not like a hundred percent anti it but i'm certainly not pro getting these foods in and i think with the whole flexible dieting and with the whole there's no good foods or bad foods that's another thing i'm like you might not want to call them good and bad but there's definitely foods that you want to have more of and you want to have less of
1: yeah absolutely but it's 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 the nature of the industry though isn't it it's you know you and people like
0: to label things people like is yeah. it's always the question is ultra processed foods good or bad i mean i would say with in that instance like probably bad right but like again people are like well you don't want to label foods but but like yeah well you know it's probably not good for your health to have very much of that at all like it would literally be it should be like the 10% kind of thing um you you eat a little bit more than it yeah probably but will it like if we're talking about like optimal health here no Mm.
1: Yeah. Well the thing is if you if you substitute a protein bar for an actual meal that's got protein in it and some, some fruit or some veg alongside it, you're making better better um choices for your health. But at the same point, if the, that protein bar is something that helps you stick to your diet, well, you know. But at the same point, you still have to, you've got that trade-off. You know that it's ultra processed. So it's down to you. You're an adult, you know what? to make a decision. It's as simple as that. Where's the decision lie for you? For us, the decision is, is that we want to help you for health. So we'll give you, we'll give you unbiased answers, basically. We're not gonna we're not gonna sugarcoat it, but we're also we're not gonna say that
0: you cannot do this. So and I eat ultra-processed foods. Just I'm just trying to minimize them. And I think I'm gonna change my diet. I kind of have started trying to do this. I'm going to introduce a bit more. I was basically vegetarian, but I think I'm going to start eating a little bit of meat again, mm-hmm. but as much ultra processed foods as possible. Yeah. And part of the reason I want to do that is in fact, there's two points I want to make about this. First of all, I'll come back to that actually. Um, part of the reason I want to do that is because I want to see the impact on mood. Now I'm generally in a good mood anyways. It's not like I need to do this, but the, the research around like, the amount of like whole foods that you're eating and the quality of your diet and depression and mental health is actually quite amazing and when you think well if it can do that at that extreme like can it help me feel even better than I already do like that's normally my focus for anything that I do now it's like it's not really can I get shredded or can I look like this or can I even like lift heavier or whatever I'm like how do I perform at my best in all areas of life? Like, and to me, the underlying factor there is mood because yep. mood underpins anything like how you show up, but also like how motivated you are to go to the gym, how much you enjoy life, which is realistically like the biggest thing, really. Yeah. So, And then that impacts everything else. Like how likely you are to go for job promotions, how likely you are to attract people that want to like work with you. Like I was thinking, why did we get such a big intake, this intake? And like, Part of that's because, like, I really reconnected with why we created the program that we did, mm. and the energy that comes off the back of that because you're so passionate about what you do. That's partly now. If I was like, wasn't sleeping well, eating lots of process, like highly processed foods, wasn't getting my exercise in, there's no way I could show up the way that I do. Yeah, that that's all important. And then the other point to make about like your food choices is it is way easier to stick to your diet if you're eating largely whole foods. Like if you looked at like, here's a 1600 calories of largely whole food, what I eat in a day, largely whole foods, way more food volume than the ultra processed version. Mm -hmm. The other thing is 500 calories of whole foods is going to leave you way more satiated than 500 calories of ultra processed food. And sometimes 500 calories of ultra processed food actually leaves you more hungry than when you started as in like you're craving more of it whereas so as an example of this if you ate this actually happens to me quite a lot if I if I chose like to have um I don't know poached eggs and uh kale or something on like a half a pit of bread or something for my lunch which was the same calories as a protein bar i whenever i finish a protein bar i just want like one extra bite i don't mm. know what always i always want like just like one extra bite of protein bar when i finish like the poached eggs i'm like oh yeah i'm completely satiated like i don't really want anything else and i think it's that like sometimes actually eating especially ultra processed food makes you more hungry or Maybe and like hunger is probably not the right word, but like you're craving for more of that. It's very Moorish, right? That's why they make it the way that they make it.
1: It's Moorish, but it's also not very cal. It's not very, as you say, have you already said, it's not satiating. It's not dense in calories. It's really. This is the only time I would probably use empty. I'm not a big fan of using empty foods, but it is. It's, it's, there's there's no real there's no real substance to it. That like you could set up to 1,600 calorie diets, one with whole foods, one with McDonald's. You could potentially get the same benefit. You could get the same result off of both. But I tell you what, you
0: get the same fat loss.
1: Same fat loss, yeah. You will get the same result from that side. But your health, your um, adherence, your satiety levels are going to uh, your mood. gut, your mood, your gut biome. Everything's going to be fucking torched if you do it McDonald's way. Wise, and this is kind. That's the kind of sort of the kind of fat. The sort of false false fallacy with. Um, Flexible dieting. Everybody thinks that you can just eat shit and get shredded. Well, you can, but you've got a fucking mass amount of trade off alongside that as well. Because there's always going to be trade Trade offs, always there, regardless of what you're doing.
0: What's quite scary as well is, and I don't think there's enough research on this, and I don't want to fear monger because I'm, yeah, I want to kind of like wait until I've fully got my head around everything that we know at the moment. But there is some quite worrying research around like legitimate changes in your brain when you eat a lot of processed foods mm. which yeah i'm just like wow that,
1: <clears throat> that i suppose just... you, could, you could look at it in this terms as well that like you know um actually i don't want to say that because it's probably going to be that's something that could I'll, we'll talk about that off off camera okay
0: <laughs> but i am i am thinking of i didn't want to commit to it until i'd got my head around if i was actually going to stick to it because you know don't make promises to yourself that you can't keep um, but I think I'm gonna try and do like 30 days. Nice. Without I'm not gonna say without ultra processed foods, because I need to figure out exactly how we Minimalize do that. Minimalize it. But, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, like massively minimizing it. Yeah. Tidy things up. Optimal health. Well, the thing is, I've done it with quite a lot of clients. Um, I didn't eat a lot of ultra-processed food anyway, aside from like protein bars, <laughs> but whenever I've done it with clients, it's like, you end up losing weight without ever tracking calories. It's hmm. you know, quite- exactly that that you overeat. Like, if you think about anything that you tend to overeat, it's not like, oh yeah, the reason I'm so overweight is just like, I cannot stop eating apples. Yeah. <laughs> apples and <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's all yeah. the fruit and veg that I'm consuming. That's the main problem. It's not like, that's not what you're snacking on. That's not like what's putting you over your calories
1: exactly you don't you don't go to the gym and reward yourself with a chicken salad you mm-hmm. go and reward yourself with Domino's or pizza hut and that's why I keep but that's why keto works is because you're taking out ultra processed foods which are highly calorific highly or non not very satiating and you want more of them so like as soon as you tidy things up like that it, it does affect other aspects of health fat loss etc so yeah
0: Okay, right. Um, do your de- daily steps need to be spread out over the day in order to be beneficial? I just went for a walk with my husband and got 8,000 steps, but if I can't get many more steps or a workout in today, did those steps still burn fat, assuming I've stuck to my nutrition goals?
1: We're not using
0: steps to burn fat. Hmm. So stress. Yeah, um, yes and no. So in terms of your energy expenditure, yeah, fine. It doesn't really matter when you get them in, if you get them all in one go or not. In terms of your health, there's good research to show that time spent being sedentary is also related to health outcomes, even if you do hit your step goals. So in that sense, like two people both did 8,000 steps, one just did them in the morning and then sat down all day versus the other one that did 2,000 steps, I don't know, four times a day, this person has better health outcomes. So, but if you're like, well, what am I going to do? I have an office job. Okay, cool. Like it doesn't it doesn't have to be that you spread them out. evenly you might get your eight thousand steps in in the morning for your walk with your husband, but then during the day, make a conscious effort to like get up and go to the bathroom or get up and do a couple of squats or you know like especially if you're working from home, like just move a little bit. the The interruption in sedentary time doesn't have to be a fifteen minute walk. It can literally be. 30 seconds of squats or just getting up, stretching, sitting back down. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Simple stuff like if you're in the office, go to the furthest away bathroom, go and get yourself a a water from the, the kitchen that's at the other end of the office rather than the one that's right next to you. Getting up and just taking a wander around the desk or wander around a couple of desks. Get up and Go through the the house if you're working from home. like Just like simple things like that. Get up, give yourself a couple of minutes. I think it is. It's it's a massive one. I think, especially working from home, I've noticed that with a lot of clients that I work with in person. I think it's it's as if that they can't step away from the office because the office is in their house. Mm. So you kind of have to set parameters where you step away from your desk. You're going to have your 45 minutes at lunchtime and you're going to be away from the desk rather than working through lunch things like that you have your set time where you would normally leave the office at half past five you shut your laptop at half past five and you're going to do what you're going to do with family friends etc because you know these things can overrun and you know it's a bit I suppose we are kind of a bit different we're sitting here at six o'clock but our working day is slightly different hours so it just changes up but you need to have these parameters yeah, but place. you need
0: boundaries like you know i will always put in my calendar Time yeah. to go.
1: Yeah. we're not we're not we're not going to be doing a podcast at nine o'clock at night unless you're in a different time zone then we might have yeah.
0: to. i mean like now and again i will do that but i'll yeah. make sure that i've still made time for myself during the yeah. day yeah. Morning. yeah that's what's hard about working from home is a lot of people just miss those parts out so like because you can be so flexible now you end up not doing that actually one of my clients spoke about how she added in a morning commute. Even though she didn't have one. So, like, she's like, oh, yeah, well, I used to, I don't know, get the tube in and then walk for 20 minutes to my office. Now I don't do that. So, I've just added it in to my day. As in, like, I'm leave not the house.
1: A bag or anything with her. Just leave the bag at home. Yeah. Oh, All right. Uh, the mad wand wandering out. Yeah,
0: I just Su- got on the bus anyway because I just thought, well, why not Gonna <laughs> get the bus 20 minutes away and then walk yeah. back. Oh, yeah. sorry. Um... Okay. Right. Julia. Hi. Wondering whether to look lean. We, uh, as we lose fat, is it better to do more reps with lighter weights or always try and go as heavy? I'm only five foot two and I've had about a stone to lose, but my husband thinks when I lift heavy, I look bulky quite, quite quickly, which is not the look I'm after. He says I should be doing high reps and low weights. Is he your coach? no and he's wrong as well so these are almost well actually no they are separate things so losing fat and building muscle are separate things so if you want to look quote unquote toned you need to both lose fat and build muscle what's gonna help you lose fat isn't necessarily well it isn't the same as what's going to help you build muscle
1: Hmm.
0: lift as heavy as you can for the given reps that we've given you this will optimize your body composition um losing fat comes from diet diet and your steps yeah. Also, tell him to take his nose out of
1: your business. You want to look good for you, not for him.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you can't. Like, you cannot. As a woman, you won't get bulky lifting heavy. No,
1: it's. It, I. I like. I always try to use the one. If you go into any gym, anywhere, and you go in any gym and you look around the gym, you'll see a bunch of young lads who are all built like bean poles, all real skinny. All try to get massive, and they can't get massive, and they have the testosterone levels to be able to do that. As a female, don't stress too much about getting too bulky.
0: You, so. you won't accidentally put on muscle.
1: Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine
0: one day you just walked in there. Oh shit! Holy, I can't get through the door. That would be like my dream. <laughs> Walking um, yeah, muscle. that's just not unfortunately for me, who has been trying to get bulky for years and muscle. Um, that's not going to happen. It's way yeah. more to do with diet. And whenever we get somebody who's like, oh, I'm worried about being bulky and like, you know, what should be doing at the gym? It's got nothing to do with that and everything to do with the diet.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, Debbie. Hi, please. Can you explain why it is if everyone's calorie needs are different, that we all need to eat a surplus of 3000 calories to put on one gram of body fat. It's actually one pound of body fat. But anyway... Why doesn't the amount vary based on the individual calorie needs, thanks, Debs? Great question. This is because, and these are rough numbers, by the way, because your body isn't completely efficient, but one pound of fat is equated to 3,500 calories. So it doesn't matter your own energy expenditure or intake. If you eat in a surplus of that, that's about how much fat that you will put in on it's irrelevant like what your own expenditure is now obviously it's easier to lose weight in many ways if you're expending more calories because it's kind of easier to create a deficit um but yeah there's no in terms of the pound of fat that you put on that has nothing really to do with your own calorie needs apart from the fact that if you only need say 1500 calories a day then it's going to be way easier to overeat by closer to Well, I mean, you're not going to overeat by 3,500 calories, I would doubt, in one day. But it's going to be way easier to do that versus the person whose expenditure is, like, Andy's, like, maybe 3,000 calories a day. He'd have to overeat, you know, or he'd have to consume, like, 6,500 calories to put on the pound of fat
1: Mm.
0: in a day. Yeah. Okay. Becky, when I worked with you previously, I think if I remember correctly, you encouraged some cardio at home on the bike. This was postpartum. So I just wondered if there should be card, a cardio target per week, if that's something I should add in. Bear in mind, I'll be doing four to five weight sessions per week in steps. No, there's no need. And you've got little kind of like finishes at the end of your weight sessions. So no need. Um, Aileen Eileen. I've been recently diagnosed with pre-diabetes. I'd like to know how best to approach my carb intake. Both practice nurses I saw gave me very conflicting advice. Likewise, the internet is a minefield. Should I be restricting all carbs, restricting added sugars, all sugars, refined carbs, all high GI food? Should I be aiming for a goal of maximal grams of carbs per day? Also, do you have any... Other useful advice for pre-diabetes slash type 2. I think I've heard on your podcast, hit is good for insulin sensitivity, um, as is going for a walk after one's evening meal. Thanks. Oh, excellent listening. So yes, what is known as postprandial walking is a great idea, which simply just means, mo- I mean, it doesn't even have to be walking. If you've got like an exercise bike at home and it's raining, then great. Beyond that, it also... To have a big impact, it doesn't need to be particularly long. So Mm. you could just go for a 10 minute walk around the block after your meal. And what's going to happen there is it helps glucose clearance independently of insulin. So that's really useful to do if you're pre diabetic. You could ideally, if you could do that after every meal, that would be great. Um, One of the first things that is impacted in pre diabetes is like your ability to withstand the initial spike in glucose after consuming a meal Um, so that's a really good thing to do to help with that in terms of your carb intake you can reverse type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes on a high carb diet or on a low carb diet Um, it still might be beneficial to lower your carbs but it's not essential to do that and actually the biggest thing here is fat loss yeah that's been shown numerous times in in fact probably hundreds if not thousands of times in the literature so it's the fat loss we need to focus on so that means the calorie deficit a low carb diet is actually for a lot of people quite an easy way well easy is a useful way to do that right so you can reduce the amount of carbs that you're consuming i would keep um i wouldn't avoid things like fruit even though it's got carbs in it I would think more about things like huh if I'm normally having this much pasta I'm gonna have half that much pasta or I might have no pasta but I'm gonna double the amount of veg that I'm having right so don't just take things out replace them with things that are less carb heavy and also likely less calorie heavy as well so that's partly why low-carb diets work is because when you replace like bread and pasta and the things that make up a hell of a lot of your diet with things like extra salad or Mediterranean veg mix which I love or yeah things that like maybe cauliflower or or broccoli or broccoli um then or corgetti then you're much more likely to eat less calories more food volume more fiber and that will certainly help um, but you're absolutely in the right place. And yeah, I'm um, I'm excited that you're here because this is one thing that I I love working with, pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes. And when mm-hmm. you can get someone or help someone reverse that, that is awesome, really satisfying. Yeah, and you're absolutely capable of doing that, especially if you've kind of caught it at the pre-diabetes stage. And you're here, which is so impressive, and you're making these lifestyle changes like yeah. yeah well done okay we managed to get through them all. Woo! Woo-hoo! Right, so I'm excited I mean we're only on day two which is very exciting um I will see or we will see everyone at Friday's group check-in and yeah keep posting away in the group keep tagging us if you need us and remember that this first week is really about like getting to grips with staff. Remember that the key principle of commit six is imperfect action. They'd be put off if you can't nail it perfectly the first week. That's not what this is about. That's probably where you went wrong with every other diet that you've done before. And I think something just to remember is that if you think about where you are here and the quote unquote perfect optimal diet up here, anywhere in between here is freaking massive progress, right? And when we were talking about the law of diminishing returns before, the closer you get to that perfect actually the less beneficial each kind of like effort is right if you're going from like here to here huge benefit going from like here to here yeah some benefit but not half as much so we really want to focus on like nailing the basics consistently not stressing out if it can't be perfect not letting perfectionism be an excuse just not to try oh i can't i won't hit my calories today oh well may as well start tomorrow no no no. like how close yeah. can you get or oh, i can't hit my steps today okay well it's definitely worth going for a 10 minute walk if you can't hit your steps yeah. so make sure you're doing that make sure you're calling yourself out on that because i think that's one of the biggest things of like when you catch yourself being like "Oh, it's 6 p.m and i've only done five thousand steps Okay, well, even if you're not going to hit 10,000 today, it's still better to hit 7,000. Like, you've got 10 minutes. Get outside, go for a walk. Own, own your actions. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, um, that's all. Ciao. Bye.